Hey, listener, editing Chris here. We interviewed the wonderful Sophia Bugs of Ladybugs Farm over a Zoom call, and the Zoom audio is just all the audio that we had available. And it sounds like a Zoom call, but it's a really good interview, so sit back, relax, stick with it, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey, and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode, we pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss, and this week we are focusing on urban farming. So this week we have Miss Sophia Bugs. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself and, and tell the folks a little bit about what you do? So my name is Sophia Bugs. I'm the owner and operator of Lady Bugs Farm that's located on the south side of Youngstown, Ohio. Hang on. Can I just say that is an amazing name for your Thank farm. You. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's one of the nicknames that people called me in my past, uh, Lady Bugs, because my last name is Bugs. And so I figured um, that would be an awesome time for me to fully admit that this is my purpose and this is what I'm doing as far as how my name is connected to nature and how much I love nature. I'm currently um, revamping my urban ag program to something more around plant medicine and something more specific on healing and helping people to uh, regenerate their lives. So um, I'm really basing it all on my own personal experiences of how I use urban agriculture to help me through a lot of challenging moments and times. But the positive piece to that is there's more green space to um, expand in Youngstown. And I love the fact that my farm is really located to a really big park. So not only am I working with really amazing soil, I'm also working with high uh, dense nutrient soil that I could pretty much grow whatever I want. I'm probably considered a specialty crop farmer because I grow a variety of flowers and herbs and produce from a myriad of different ways. Specialty crop is also a way for us in Ohio to describe smaller growers. And I used to go to market, but there are many challenges to going to market beyond just your achy knees and hips. There are some social context that goes into when you want to be at a market that is specifically in your area and other people come and, you know, they have their ideas of what they feel markets are. So I'm absolutely a farmer who has the capacity of going to a farmer's market and selling a lot of produce, but I'm choosing to kind of scale back, kind of figure out my own purpose more. So the whole reason why I actually got started and to focus more on the medicinals and the perennials. Amazing. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you became a farmer? I don't know that story. So my story in short is that I basically was laid off of both of my amazing jobs in Orlando, Florida, teaching. And one was also with um, as a breastfeeding peer counselor working for Wicked Nutrition. And so when I was laid off of both of those jobs, I returned back to from which I was born, which is Youngstown, Ohio, and discovered along the process that I inherited my grandmother's home, the house that I was raised in. And this was after I lost my grandmother. So I talk about this in my TED talk about my threes, my threes where I lost my grandmother and I lost two of my amazing jobs. And those were all the things that spiraled me into my higher purpose where I had to finally decide, am I gonna give my own intellect, my own skill sets a chance? 
I've done a lot of t- different types of jobs. I've always gotten a gold sticker. I feel like I've always been a great worker in other places, but I never put that kind of effort in my own stuff. So I thought, you know, while you have an opportunity, uh, let's work on what you love. Worked on my master's and discovered that I really wanted to go deeper into natural medicine. And it's, I know if people know me and they're watching this, I know they're like, wanted to go. I've kind of always loved plants and I've always mm-hmm. loved nature. And um, that has been a known fact throughout my life. I don't know why I didn't get it, but <laughs> I absolutely believe that I actually um, manifested a farm right behind my grandmother's home that I inherited. So one kitty pool at a time, I just sort of got adventurous and invested in myself a little bit more and learned some more about agriculture and decided to kind of just jump in there and, and be a grower. I didn't know urban agriculture was a thing. I didn't know about victory gardens. I, I just knew that I gardened because my grandmother gardened. Mm-hmm. I love plants because nature experiences were supported in my, my family. And nature was always a place to restore me no matter what, even if it was a flower in a magazine. It, it always restored me. And I just wanted more of it because I felt like I was in a space where that was the only thing that understood me. And I completely fell in love with it and moved forward. Had a chance to talk with some folk from the city who um, worked with the land at the time was Lean Forward, Ohio, who is now our current uh, county land bank and struck up a partnership to start growing on nine to 10 lots that literally sit directly behind my home. So I'm fortunate that it just kind of all happened. Um, so it kind of happening spiraled me into growing. And of course, mm-hmm. when I decided to do that, um, going going to taking a specialty crop apprenticing through OSU, that's when I really, I think I was, that was the first introduction of my experience in what urban agriculture was. For me, mm-hmm. it wasn't a social context in the beginning. It may have been because I was helping myself. But then when I realized like, oh, this is profitable, I really dug in. Like I wanted to. Yeah. What, what would you say to someone who asked you who didn't know, like, what is urban agriculture? Well, interesting that you bring that up. I didn't mention, too, that I'm also a partner on a couple of different organizations here. One is Healthy Community Partnership. I'm also the Food Access Coordinator here in Maloney. And urban agriculture is described in a myriad of ways for a lot of places. And I know I can't sleep globally. But for some, market gardening is just a side lot. For some, is urban ag where there's profit, community gardening. So urban ag has a myriad of things, not mm. just um, community gardens or pocket parks or green space where people are doing projects. But these are also spaces where people are making an income off of farming. And I'm so grateful now that the USDA has an urban ag a program where they can assist, I'm not going to say real growers, but real growers. <laughs> like people, you know, so when I say that, I guess what I'm talking about is people in spite of what's going on in the world still wake up and grow to feed themselves. And mm-hmm. because we don't understand how food has been used as a weapon in the past to cut through all of the red tape of what that looks like still today, still today, it's a bit daunting and challenging. So kind of pushing forward to me explaining what urban agriculture and what it means. Like for now for me, it is absolutely saving my whole life. That's what urban ag is saving lives right now because where there is a place where uh, you're not judged and it's always fair and you're only 
utilized for exactly what you're good for is nature. You know, and so I live amongst city dwellers who have maybe forgotten the connection, the deeper uh, interweaving with nature. And so therefore, you know, nature can be used as a weapon against people in city dwellings because they're in the, interested in paying bills, not necessarily restoring their bodies to having high quality lives, high quality foods, you know, it's a distraction happening in the world. And specifically with people who are already over-policed, people who are already at a disadvantage. Um, I see now people are like, okay, now I see why you got involved. I think I want to too, but it's so much happening hmm. that you have to be very careful and very patient and very loving with people who choose something that they assume that is so easy. And then they get out there and it's like, wow, like I've cried in my soil. Like I thought, wow. you know, for sure, this was the thing that broke me, you know, and who wants to say a rock broke you? Who yeah. wants to say your compacted <laughs> soil made you cry all day? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's a real, you know, for a woman who is not open about showing her vulnerability and who's open about their tears, like that is a real challenge because not only are you trying to grow to feed yourself, you're realizing that all the soil is the same. So... Urban so, agriculture is a myriad of green things, green space, community gardens, side lot projects, urban farms, market gardens, pocket park, um, in city dwellings. So that's that sounds amazing. Um, in your particular case, how urban is it? Are you like just outside the city limits? Are you in a suburban neighborhood or next to an office building? Good question. I'm in a neighborhood, and I'm also just just a street over from a, a, a major park, Milk Creek Park, okay. where there are tons of glaciers, and it's a beautiful oh, wow. park. Beautiful I didn't know Ohio park. had glaciers. <laughs> really? I had no idea. Yeah, we got some glaciers. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Our, our mo and most of our natural parks do have them, because um, over a period of time, that's pretty much how our parks have, our parks. So because of the glaciers, I have high pH, too. Mm -hmm. But and I also get deer and rabbit and I'm not really worried about those it's the two-legged creatures that I'm always concerned <laughs> that might walk away with something so this episode is going to be the first in a series that we're doing talking about local food and one of the things I'm really trying to to discuss in this series is is the way that local food can be used as kind of a tool of community development mm -hmm. and you mentioned earlier like that concept of food being used as a weapon and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how you've seen those two concepts throughout your career in specifically urban farming. Well, I will be honest to say that, and I've been, I haven't read all of it, but I read a little bit about a little bit on Michelle Obama's becoming her book. Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to uh, view a little bit of the video that she has on Netflix. And I'm only bringing that up because that's the, that's the first thing that I think of when I, relate to another person who is trying to express uh, what it is or, or how they're trying to define specifically the work that they are doing. And she had mentioned, you know, several times how challenging it was to take on a charge that she felt like really important and to be believed and supported um, as a black woman or as someone doing 
um, the work that she was doing. And she absolutely um, did that MOVE campaign, which I thought was so amazing. And I loved how um, in her book, and I want to say Grown in America, it highlighted how she had to push to have the, the White House kitchen garden. Mm-hmm. Like, really? I mean, really? It's her house, <laughs> that's, right? <laughs> oh, that's what I thought. Yeah. But apparently it's a, a, nas- a, nat- a national park, the White House grounds, I'm going to say on that level. And therefore you have to have certain clearance. And she made sense when it was like, listen, there was a time where, you know, this house was not here or was torn out or damaged and you had to feed people. There was a garden to feed people. Makes sense to leave that charge. But food as being a weapon is very similar to that experience that here we are, you know, shaking our finger at our the first lady of the United States who is absolutely saying that we have a hunger issue. And it is not going to be solved overnight. Like we need to incorporate it into our lifestyle. And so this is how we've used food as a weapon is standing in the way of things like uh, land ownership or overpricing produce or using, in my opinion, language in areas that clearly it deflates the people. And I get that a lot of people mean well to say, I want to teach you about organic and permaculture and hipster language. But many of the people are so far removed with these languages that it comes so overwhelming, they don't do it. So as food is absolutely evolving and making people healthier, it is also being used to marginalize people, you know? And in doing that, I say, I know that there was a whole campaign with returning funds to farmers that wasn't given their uh, treatment when it come to resources and um, grants and support. So Food as a weapon could simply mean something like you are standing in the way of another person's best life, (laughs) you know, by using a very essential tool that is needed to nurture them to say, oh, you can't do that, Sophia. However, are you supposed to know how to grow tomatoes? You should go and buy hydroponic tomatoes at the grocery store all year round, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful. And there are these, I don't want to seem petty, but it's ridiculous now. Like it's now into, it's infiltrated into a whole system. Like I'm grateful that there is a, a food assistance program, but I don't know if you've ever applied for food stamps before. And I don't know if you've ever had the conversations that they have with poor people, but they do not make people feel that they are proud to live in a first world country with food assistance. You have to darn their big and be sad and come broke and scraping through the door for them to give you the max amount that you and your family is due in spite of, it only needing to really be according to your household income. We still like live in those times. And you will be surprised at how even people who are discriminated against and are, how food is a weapon are the same people that do it to you too because it's they a- don't know, because they don't know. So yeah. it's like a whole, it's a whole deep process. But basically you know, how to make better with that is stand, stay out of the way of people who are trying to be self-sufficient and sustainable when it comes to land-based activities. I know I went off talking about Michelle, but I, I, I wanted to put that there only because I was so grateful, honestly, for another Black woman in the world who has stressed that healthy eating and lifestyle is a part, not the total package, but is a piece and a part of, of her family lifestyle, which is a challenge and it's food for crying out loud. 
And for her to share like her wisdom to other young um, brown faces, other children, other people in the world on, this is the way it should be done, which is children gardening. So when you grow up, uh-huh, maybe you could keep doing this for yourself. Like just standing on the way of people's opportunities, you know, to do it affordably, healthier. And it's sort of like breastfeeding. How do we promote breastfeeding? By doing it, by showing other women that this is safe, this is healthy, this is good, this is nurturing, and it's free from your body. But if you're stressed, somebody, something is blocking your baby to, for your baby to get this nourishment because you're so stressed out and your milk ducts are dried up early. And then you quit early because there's a lot of challenges. So I would also like to see that kind of change in the world. I know we talked about food being a weapon from agricultural base, but because I'm absolutely a breastfeeding supporter, I think that's another way we stand in the way of food or using food as a weapon. And social service agency spaces who have to ask these thousands of questions to how she's using her body or how she's um, using her breast. And that's typically short-lived in a lot of urban areas because it's just hard to keep up with the social demands of the world and still offer your baby a healthy supply of breast milk. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other subject. No, but it's, I mean, it's it's still tied in for sure. So Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to know a little bit more about what the local food ecosystem of Youngstown looks like. Um, You mentioned you don't go to markets. Are there a lot of other urban farmers? Was that an easy way for you to plug in? Was there a lot of support? Well, aren't you going to ask all the great questions? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, so... Yeah, there are other growers. There are not a lot of urban farmers, but I consider them urban farmers because at some point it was at least five growers locally that was growing for profit. Oh, wow. Um, So, and this was not in light of what's happening with the pandemic. Just over course of time, I've been growing for about a decade. And so I've also sold produce on my table for other growers who just didn't make it to market. Mm -hmm. I consider those farmers. And um, there is a lot of synergy around local foods here and Healthy Community Partnership is an organization that I'm the Healthy Food Access Coordinator of of Mahoney. And we're often meeting uh, about how to dismantle what's going on when it comes to food insecurity. And um, our challenges, I think, is first we need to change the language. I am one of a few that sit on the board that's a person of color. And I know we are trying to diversify that and make it more inclusive, but that's the truth of where we are. And I've tried to make a parent to say, hey, listen, we need to shift the language and the way we're having a conversation, not just about poor people, but about people of color and about food access. So uh, food deserts is one of those things that just makes me cringe for a whole lot of reasons. Um, And I will again state that I didn't know that this was like a thing in the world. Mm. I was just in my own bubble. I just wanted to grow some food and be healthy. I didn't know like urban ag was this hip movement where people were pushing against, you know, the powers that be and resistance. I didn't know that. I experienced it and then fell into like, why is this happening to me? And then I met people and it was like, oh, it's a thing. So being able to sit on a steering committee and the action team and be the coordinator, I feel like I'm capable to giving them the intel of what growers, Black people prefer to use when it comes to talking about agriculture. And so food insecurity 
or food apartheid is more appropriate than food desert. We don't need another check mark that's a negative word against the people. We just don't. And it doesn't even make sense. But because that's a great coin to get funding, mm-hmm. it's used. There's a lot of food it's in used. the desert. I hate that term. <laughs> for, for those of you Thank who you. are just listening right now, Hallie and I are just mostly nodding our heads a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so much food in the desert. Great. And so it's another in, negative connotation about who we are as Americans. I really do feel that in our ignorance of our own geographical landscape, you know? So yes, you're absolutely right. So um, that's the issue that I'm having is the language. And now that in light of pandemic, you know, we need these grants, right? All the hard work that we've done to work towards better, being more inclusive and a focus, I find that out of all of the Zoom meetings of all kind of organizations that I'm sitting in a meeting, we've gone back to settle to the ways. Like I've heard, you know, in our when you're stressed, in my opinion, I feel that you should absolutely have a practice. Whatever your practice is, you will always resort to it when you feel fearful. So that's why meditation is important. That's why spirituality is important. That's why gardening is important. Because although you don't think it's a spiritual practice, it is a practice that is safe, it is gentle, it is loving, and it doesn't harm other people. So I'm saying that to say, in light of what's going on, I'm hearing the language now about those people, you people, food deserts, is slowly sneaking in. And language sets the tone for a lot of how movements can be that. Or for us to actually do what we're saying, we're saying we're going to stop doing. Let's start with the language shift. Mm-hmm. And so the, we had a shift, but now it's shifted back. And to be on calls and meetings and hear it, I just want to get off the call. Because I feel like all that I've worked so hard to say, don't do that. It's not appropriate. There's so many more better words and terms that could be used. And oh, by the way, did you know that this is a catchphrase word? That's, that really is working against the people, you know, or working with a partner or organization that has saw the slow crawling process that I've had in urban agriculture, being on the scene, be a part of the movement, trying to do the work, only for it to just not be quick enough for them to just say, well, I'll take the ideas and do it myself. There's an article I posted on my Ladybug's farm page it's a whole blog that this girl just like lets it go. And I was like, oh my gosh, she sounds like me, which was, she's always worked with really good nonprofit organizations. And many of the people were very intentional, but a lot of the work was not the right way of doing it. And so because we have a way with communicating, or as they would may think, the token Black people, that they're comfortable with us approaching or front confronting, like this is how we should do this in dealing with people like this they don't have to but it'll it'll be done just enough to get the resources and then you know off to the next project then that was a project that actually was needed to build on this project or we needed these resources to actually start up that so my concerns is that I live in this city with all this green space and there are a handful of organizations that are taking up some of the different projects whether it's grass cutting supporting gardeners, uh, small farms, pop-up markets. There are a handful of us that are really pushing that, that charge, which is really good. But my concerns is we aren't moving quick enough. And my concerns is that the language puts us in such a vulnerable place 
that a bigger organization can come and take over the green space this year. Mm. I know that blight is a problem for many people, but I wish I could stand on the porches of many of the boom boomers. What are they called? The boomers. That yeah. group of people. Yeah, the boomers. And say to them that it's okay that the that the weeds are northeastern Ohio varieties that are mm. growing into filling. It's okay. Your air is cleaner. The pollinators are gonna come and maybe we can, you know, get some ordinance so that you could have some wildflowers. But it's it, nature is not working against you. She's working with you. And it's a blessing that we are a credible, an incredible shrinking city. I don't want people to lose jobs, but sort of like COVID, and I worked so hard to not say that name, <laughs> it has forced us to simply go within hmm. and figure out who you are and how much more sweat equity that you have to give to somebody else. Like we have a chance to reboot. The air is cleaner. We've discovered new species of animals and plants now. What? We got roadways cleared and stuff fixed. Like we got a lot of stuff done. And this is a blink. This ain't even a blink in the universe. But my point is, and again, I want somebody to live out. I'm hoping that someone in their own pain body experiences and discover nature the way I did, which is I kind of reached out to say, I don't have anywhere else to go. You know, and one thing I know for sure is to be somebody that is always looking for a safe place. Nature has always provided that for me. And it's something that I w- I'm hoping that Youngstownians can embrace the fact that we are turning into a greener city. Let us be the change. Let us lead the way. You know, with California not having water, we've got the Great Lakes. Ohio is the heartland. But I do feel, because certain circles I'm in with OSU, and extension and corporations and nonprofits. I hear that language, which is green space is only for an elite group of people and not you all. And if we keep acting like we don't appreciate it, then we may lose these beautiful, vacant, green plush lots of all kind of medicinal plants. I've got so many thoughts right now. I'm trying to get through this. <laughs> right. I'm I'm curious about the uh, the language that you keep referring to. If there's uh, if there's like one or two things that you just oh I just heard that again, um, or if there's like a tone you hear or something like that, like you know something. What what's the thing that uh, I would love to hear something, you know, that needs to be changed. Yeah, um, what needs to be changed is the way that we continue to build this great nation. And we must do it with the acknowledgement of the natives and the people who are here. And with food being essential, you did, I'd have thought that was a light bulb for people. You know, we're frontline responders, regardless if there is a pandemic or not, <laughs> you know? And I don't think we, I think we take for granted about food. And even in my own house, I see it. I have a teenager who just graduated with uh High school diploma and an associate. Thank you. Thank you. And she's pursuing to, to finish a degree at YSU as well. But I see in our first world, in our own first world problems, where I'm always checking her about, you know, making sure she's not wasting food, um, making sure that we're being mindful of the things that we're putting in our body in spite of us having a smaller budget than others. But food has always been my bigger spend 
And I think that's because I come from a people where food was everything. It was our conversation. It was the comfort. It was the collaboration. It was all of those things. My grandmother's kitchen provided, I can't explain. And in such a tiny place in the world, she did so much for us. And it's not that my grandmother wasn't magical. She was. But what made it even more magical were the things inside that kitchen, which was food, you know? So I'm hoping that we can, I know some people feel hippity-doo about calling food medicine, but I think when we do that, it makes us sound more important to people. Like it gets your attention. Like when I say food is medicine, people are like, whoa, you know what? That's nice. That's something that, but we would need doctors to also support that. Doctors don't say food is medicine. You know, many, I'm fortunate we have, we are fortunate here. We have an RX program where the doctors do prescription writing for people who are in challenged um, areas on certain foods to nourish them. So that's great, but it would really be nice too if those doctors knew exactly what the RX prescription program was too. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things like, oh, we should do this for the people and it should work and you do it and the doctor is like, and what am I prescribing? And here's the paper, fill this out. You know, are these questions really being asked? Does the doctor really feel that food is medicine and that that is the missing element from this diabetic woman or this hypertension stand or a person with mental health fog or, and um, you know. So truth of the matter is how I end up farming, I didn't say it all of that is because I got tired of going to the powers that be and them talking to me like I didn't know my own body. Mm-hmm. And you really want to know what that feels like, be a mother and be a poor mother and go into an office where they tell you, you don't know what's best for your own baby. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's best for your own baby. You don't know what allergies your daughter has or how they respond to it. Just take these little vouchers and be glad somebody giving you food. I knew then. I wouldn't do that. And I did accept, I did have WIC when I was, uh, when Passion was a baby. And I absolutely, in my own struggle and my own sacrifice, didn't do it. Because don't tell me what my daughter is supposed to have or not. You're going to help me or you're not going to help me. So, but that issue, I want to say absolutely is one of the reasons why I'm farming. Because my daughter has so many allergies. And I always, I could afford it then. So Whole Foods was my pharmacy. But I was spending like $25, $30 on a calendula bottle. It's little. And I thought, man, there has to be an affordable way. And there was for me to do it myself. And so that's why I grow marigolds every year. So I can submerge them into oil and let them sit, sit for six weeks in a dark bottle in a cool place for my daughter to have a year-round salve for her eczema breakouts. So uh, I think it was in the last episode... Hallie, Hallie occasionally says that uh, growing your own food is a, a radical act. And I think, I think that's a perfect example of it right there. Just, you know, I need to, I've got this problem. I need to have my own solution. I don't need any of these other people involved. Uh, I'm just going to do it myself. And, and that's, that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, how, how do you think that sort of growing and eating locally impacts individuals and the people in the communities and the people around the communities. Well, I would like to talk about mental health because I know we want to go to the direct root cause, which is it is absolutely healthier to do that. And it's healthier because you share the same space with the pollinators and all that other good stuff. But I can't, I mean, you name all of the health factors that happens 
that boost when you garden from movement of the body, you know, first of all. And it's such an educational experience. Cognitively, you're always like reaching to learn more. And on top of that, the food is, I feel, higher in quality than what you get from the grocery store because I think those are the other aspects we don't talk about nature, which is the spiritual part of it. It's something about the mystery that is also in this food that is kin to where you live. So this is why they tell you to eat local honey because you and those bees have relationship and that's what it is. You're building your immune system for this uh, relationship, which is bigger than what you assume it to be, but it's still kind of small and quaint and protective for us. Um, so eating local not only strengthens the economy, but it also puts confidence in the people who live there. It's food that they're growing, not t-shirts. It's food that they're growing. It puts beautification in spaces. It gives you confidence. It makes you stronger. It boosts your immune system. And it's always accessible. And you have to learn. Like every season, I do not eat all of what I could eat in Northeastern Ohio because my taste buds primarily just like what it likes. However, it also allows you to say, well, since I can't get strawberries, maybe I'll eat my last little bit of cherry tomatoes in my salad. Or since we're all out of Swiss chard, maybe I can figure out what collards are doing since it's later in the season. Having a variety of greens to choose from, you know? And I love the fact that we're just strengthening even the relationship on the same mother nature. I feel like it's almost a checking. Mm. I feel like nature is like, who's here? Who's still with me? Who still supports me? You're like, I am. I got my garden bed. I got my bucket. I see the um, hummingbirds. I have honeybees. You know, <laughs> I feel like it's our way of saying we're having a communal relationship that keeps us stronger and healthier as a team, as a globe you know, as opposed to not being connected with her. I, I absolutely feel that we are the midwives also of what's happening. You know, she's heating up for a reason. It is not because <laughs> something's wrong with her. If we don't get it together, yep. we aren't going to make it. She's going to make it. She That's has true. proven. She's proven. She has, she has survived freezes and heat ups and you name it. This is a drop in the bucket for her. She will let us go and create a whole new people, you know? And so it's almost like this dance that is, I want to say required, like give her the respect. When I saw people still throwing their stuff out of the windows in light of the pandemic, I thought people don't get it. Mm -hmm. How do you still, no. you're still throwing trash out of the window still? Like, don't you know that that harms nature? Like, that's the whole point of what's going on. It's not because they did it or you got it or you touched me. It's because she can't keep up with so much of the processing, the overproduction that we do for her. She can't only keep up so much. So she's doing what she can. And this little rest that we're getting, this little break, is supposed to be our springing forward for us to be better. But I really do feel that those who want to hold on to old systems and old ways, she just doesn't make room for them. So I don't have to be upset anymore. I don't have to be concerned if I'm going against. I do feel the love and support that nature has offered me. 
I've been more deeply connected than I've ever been before. I spend more outdoor times in my life now than I did before. And I asked myself what stopped me before. You know, with all the stresses in the world, all the distractions, I still read Hobby Farm magazine. I still would go to Barnes and Nobles and just pour through all the books and just dream. So I wouldn't doubt that that dream is the manifestation that is happening now. But that's a different experience with nature from a page as opposed to actually doing the work, you know, and even now it's the next level. So can I just joy, can I farm and joy now instead of demanding it? Can I just wake up and go in my fields, plant some things and heal some people without needing to dodge bullets, harmful words, ignorance, <laughs> mm. you know, I really do feel like when this happened, I felt that fear piece that people who are our preppers and who are trying to be sufficient try to get away from that. We try to just get in our own bubble to just survive, you know? And so when I went to the grocery stores, whew, I had to just leave. The craziness that people was bringing to the stores and bringing their fears, like it's just, you get your supplies and go. But people have other agendas when they're doing what they're doing. And I was really, I was shocked that I felt like we had scaled back a couple decades when I went to the grocery store, the way people were treating me. And I'm not saying I'm all of that, but I do feel I'm all of that. When I get treated that way, oh my goodness, I know the masses are. My patience allows me to come home alive and safe. Mm -hmm. And my spiritual practice stops Mm -hmm. me from wishing harmful things on other people. So I always tell people, you should leave me alone in nature. Nature protects you from me. Because if I was a for real human being, not in love with nature, not being this loving, it had already been some mess for my life. Nature completely has saved me. And I've watched it save other people. I've watched it save other people. So I hope that this is good medicine for the city dwellers to take in a little bit of greenness in your life. Like a little bit here and there. A smoothie mm-hmm. here and there, a wild leaf here and there, maybe a potted plant that can be all year round on your porch and in the house, brought yeah. some things, you know, um, they slowed me down and they stopped me from being so fearful from others and they expanded my vulnerability. So although I said I don't like to be vulnerable, when I did that TED talk, that was absolutely my vulnerability. That was a whole process too, by the way to do a TED talk. One day I'm going to do a video <laughs> on what it's like to be a TED recipient, to talk exactly about what you know specifically, and then find some pushback even in the process of doing TED. That's all I'm going to tell Wow, I can't oh imagine. Can't wait to so, see yeah, that. I want to thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. It's been so awesome to have you on the show. Um, do you want to plug any social media or anything? Or is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Sure. And I want to, I absolutely want to thank you for taking the time to allow me to share my story and including me in this process. Absolutely. Um, by the way, it takes a lot. It takes a lot from somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to scale back and allow someone else to take this platform because that, that doesn't come easy for you all either. You know, I'm definitely identified as a brown woman and People might not know that that's what you two are like doing, but when people hear that you are possibly supporting something that might not be favorable to them, there is more pushback. So I commend you for jumping in there to also allow us to tell the real story about 
the ups and downs and the challenges and the lifestyle of someone who is in urban agriculture. My plugs are, I'm on Instagram as Lady, L-A-D-Y, my last name, Bugs, B as in boy, U-G-G-S, Farm, F-A-R-M. And I'm also on there as Mama Sophia's Wisdom. And I'm also with both of those names on Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter as Lady Bugs Farm. Well, well awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. It has totally thank been our you. honor. You're, you're amazing. You're fantastic. Thank you. Thank you and thank you. And I'm glad you made the connection. Please stay in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It is produced by Catherine RJ and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. You can find all of our episodes as well as more information about the show and the team on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Join our community and learn more about each episode at patreon.com slash onetogrowonpod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, and even custom art created just for you. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.